All right, if you'll continue in our worship together by uh, reading with me Revelation chapter 5. The picture of Revelation chapter 4, for all the things going on with it, I thank Renee for reading it. Renee is my favorite Bible reader. Uh, we are blessed with her in our Sunday school class, and uh, I enjoy it when she reads Scripture for us, and I'm glad she could share that gift with you. All right. The uh, I, my compliments are for sale. If you do, uh, uh, so thank you, Renee. But the picture of Revelation four, so we get a sense of what's going on, is very simply this: the creation that God has formed is giving all glory and praise back to God. The four creatures, we get a little lost with all of the imagery. And what we need to get is this. All of creation sings the praise and glory of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. The picture of heaven is the glory and praise of God. When we get called up into heaven with John, the picture is an overwhelming sense of praise and glory given to Jesus Christ. To all, uh, all of creation is shouting, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Revelation 4 and 5 are meant to be read together, I think. And so Renee's read 4 for us. I'll pick up in chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has triumphed, and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. With your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, 
and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise, honor, and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray. Father, we, we know what's going on in heaven right this moment is praise. An announcement of your glory and your splendor. And God, in the hurriedness, in the brokenness, in our sadness, in our anger, in every distraction that there is here on your earth, we forget what we're to be living for. And so God, I pray and I ask most simply and humbly on all of our behalf, that what's going on in heaven would happen here. That your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That our hearts would be turned to you. That our desire for wrong and evil would turn to you. That our pride would be broken we would be humble before you. God, we want to join the heavens in praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is Jesus, our Savior and our King. God, we want to live for you. Speak through it, your word, through your spirit. And impress upon our hearts, God, a deep and sincere faith that seeks you. This is our cry and our prayer. For you are worthy. Worthy of all honor and glory and praise and power. Worthy of it all. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I have been uh, praying this week uh, fervently for my younger brother. Uh, Joel uh, is serving in New York, and um, it's a you know I I spent all of like eight hours there. I moved him in. 
I got him into his apartment. I fed him some pizza, and I said, I'm out of here. Uh, I am not meant for New York City, and I am perplexed that my little brother who spent 16 years of his life sitting on my mother's lap can handle living in New York. And so when things go awry, I, uh, I want to fix them. And uh, particularly for a younger brother um, who you feel is vulnerable and you wonder and you question everything and you just want to make everything right, um, I couldn't do anything. I was, uh, I was helpless. I did send some things to try and help him out. But the extent of the help I could offer was very limited. I reached out to people, contacts I thought I knew, to try and provide something for my brother. I'm so grateful for him and his example. It's hard for me to admit that sometimes. But his roommate, uh, and I can't share a lot of the details, we got ourselves in trouble for oversharing from a lawyer. Uh, But basically... Joel was on the brink of being homeless, and it was not his fault, and I want to be clear on that, Um, but Joel could have ran out on his roommate that uh, was in the trouble, and praise the Lord, everything worked out fine, and at the end of the whole thing, Joel's roommate said to him, you know, there's been something different about you and you could have left me. You had no obligation to stay this through with me. You could have been angry with me. You could have left. But you stuck with me. Thank you. And Joel sharing that uh, with me was just one of those things of just like, I am so proud of you right now for trusting in God, for weathering uh, this storm, and Joel, he didn't do very well with it. I mean, he made himself sick. He ended up in medstat, and like he was completely dehydrated. He couldn't keep anything down. It worried him to death, thinking, "Okay, I'm going to be homeless in the middle of New York, and the polar vortex or whatever <laughs> was on its way." While we had it, New York wasn't yet going to get it, and Joel would be homeless right at that moment. So I was freaking out. He was freaking out. And I share this story with you uh, because I get a sense that what is missing in our Christianity is a worldview for every situation. A sense of what is God doing in this very moment in my life, in our church family, in these hard and difficult circumstances. And so I, I wrote, when Joel first told me, okay, you're, you're going to be homeless, um, I said, what, what hardship are you facing? Why are you facing this? And what does God have in store because you need to weather this storm and, and seek through it? And so I think having Joel gotten through this, I think on the other side of it, Joel's going to have a flourishing ministry and mission in New York City, winning people for Christ. I have no doubt in my mind. But sometimes I feel like where we lack in our Christian journey is a thing that I so often reference is the sort of vampire Christianity syndrome that we have. 
where we are very much pro-Jesus' blood, but we are really just wondering always, do we need to follow Jesus' ways? And what the whole gospel teaches us is that we need to have a frame of reference for how we view and look at the world, how we witness, how we function in the midst of heartache. Christianity is not a promise that you will never endure suffering. It's a promise that there is something God does with your suffering. That it's not the end of you, but it's the start of something God is blooming to goodness, greatness, glory, and praise in His name. And friends, there's, there's no amount of, amount of my talking that will help you see this as much as you having to go through it. And see that God works in the midst of your sadness, in the midst of your hurt. And sometimes on the other side of it, it makes you just a little bit more compassionate for what people are going through so that you might be of encouragement and love. And sometimes it might just be this uh, sense of a growth of empathy and kindness and service. And someone's kindness towards you in the midst of whatever you are going through, in turn you get to reciprocate over and over again all throughout your life to say, you know what, I know what it was like to go through that. And I know what it felt like to be loved. And I want to love you. And so friends, Christianity isn't a prescription to get you to escape from suffering. But it's this comfort, it's this guide, it's this compass in the midst of the storms to guide us and lead us to where God wants us to be. And the picture of Revelation 4 and 5 is a picture of what creation was intended for and what creation will one day do fully and completely. And that's praise God for being worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Revelation 4 and 5 are some of my favorite verses of Scripture partly because they're a little crazy, all kinds of things going on, but, but because of the picture, the picture of worship, the picture of what I'm supposed to be doing, this reminder that my life is this call of praise to God. So often in, I get caught up in the midst of my daily routine and my schedules, feel rushed and hurried, frazzled. I don't always pay attention to what I'm created for. And so I need Revelation 4 and 5 to remind myself that all of creation, all of, all of it, every bit of it, is meant to offer praise and honor and glory to God. And that includes me, and it includes you. What is worship? I heard it put very simply. Worship is what you put your ultimate trust in and what you find your greatest happiness in. Worship is what you put your ultimate trust in and what you put your greatest happiness in. With that definition, it seems like we worship an awful lot more than just Jesus, don't we? I put a lot of trust 
and a lot of different things. I can worship money. I know that seems crazy, right? I can worship family. I can worship my sports teams. I can worship my children. No parents have ever worshipped their children. I know. I mean, I'm the anomaly. The, uh, but we can put an awful lot of trust and we can put an awful lot of hope that these things will bring us the happiness we're looking for. When creation worships God, it is saying that we put our full and complete trust in God for every single thing. When we are called to worship, we are to put our complete and total trust in Him and find our true happiness, our true joy, is solely found in Jesus Christ. John is called up into heaven. All these crazy things going on. I'm sure it's quite overwhelming. And there's this troubling scene, this moment, where John, he falls on his knees and he begins to weep. He's weeping because the scrolls won't be opened. The seals of the scrolls, it's all sealed up. No one is worthy to open the seal. It's kind of like the sword and the stone. Nobody can pull the sword out of the stone. No one's worthy to open the scroll. And so the question is, is, well, what's in there that he's so sad about? Right? Like you read it and it's like, why is he so sad about this? Because what the scroll contains is God's plan that needs to unfold to redeem and save creation. The plan is all sealed up and no one's worthy to carry out the plan. It's like hiring the construction workers and no one has the blueprints. And what John is crying about is he's taking not just his tears, but he's taking each and every one of our tears and he's laying them before the throne of God saying, is there anyone who is worthy to open this? Is there anyone worthy who's going to go about and fix God's creation and make it well again? How many of you cried? How many of you hurt? How many have been sad and lonely and wondering, when will God make things right? And all of those tears, I think, are collected right before John, and he cries and he weeps and he begs. Is there anyone who is worthy to open these scrolls? Is there anyone who is worthy to carry out the plans of God to seek and save and redeem his creation? And John hears a voice. He says, stand up and don't be sad because there is one who is worthy. There is one and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's worthy. And I don't know about you, but I like this sense of the lion. Audrey, she's been doing this cute thing lately. She's been trying to scare me. She does her own little version of the lion. It's incredibly intimidating. I pretend and I feel frightened, you know. It's the lion. It's the lion that we really want, isn't it? The lion to use his power, to use his might. All of our tears, all of our sadness, all of the hurt in our world, we know it's going to take lion power to make things right. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, uh, Mayor... Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, 
our South Bend mayor, he's going to run for president. I don't know if you caught this or not. I'm sure you have, um, being a little sarcastic. And uh, anyway, so why is Mayor Pete running for president? Because positions of power is how you get things done. I can see I really struck a chord with you guys on the Mayor Pete things. There's people that are really not excited about it. I can't believe this, guys. Um, the uh, I'm poking the bear now. Sorry. All right, listen. Lion power is how you get things done. Lion power is what you go for when there's problems so large that you don't know how to fix them. And so I imagine that in all of John's sadness, when he hears that the lion of the tribe of Judah is the one that's on your side, and he's worthy to open the scroll, John starts thinking, hey, this is all right. And you know what he does? He turns around, and what's before his eyes? It's it's not a lion, it's a lamb. If that's not bad enough, it's a lamb who's been slain. Here's the key to the whole entire thing. He's standing. By all appearances, this lamb has been slaughtered and killed, but he still stands. And here's your message that you need to carry in your heart in every situation, in every moment of your life that will guide you and give you a compass to help you know how God is redeeming and saving His world. It's the power of the Lamb. It's the power of sacrificial love. It's the power of Jesus Christ laying down His life, crucified on the cross. And resurrected. The rest of Revelation is about the power of the Lamb of God, the power of sacrificial love that God has honored and said, This is my Son, who I am well pleased. This is the message that we know how God feels about the sacrifice of His Son. The Lamb is still standing, the Lamb is worthy to open the scroll. The Lamb is the one who will redeem and save. And so we think that the way things ought to go, the way things get handled, is through lion power. And we think, okay, God will carry out His plan and it will be through the sword. It will be through might. It will be through overwhelming force of God. And God doesn't wield the sword. God shows up and He changes the world with a towel. What does Christ do but He serves? He takes the most humble and least place in every room that He enters. Washing the feet of the lowest. Finding Himself a servant to the world. Friends, God has a plan. And the seals unfolded and the plan is revealed. And it's not through the power 
of a sword. It's through the power of the Lamb. And you think, that sounds crazy. Well, maybe it is. But Jesus said, those who live by the sword, they die by the sword. Jesus says that if you want to find your life, what do you have to do? You have to lose it. Jesus says some strange things, but here's how I want to live my life. Not through force. Not through power. I want to carry a towel. I want to serve my family. I want to love them and care for them and bless them. I want to spoil them rotten with pizza night and movie night. I want to protect them. I want to rub their wounds. I want to take the towel and wash away their tears. I want to protect and love them as best as I can. And I want to serve my wife. I want to serve her. I want to do the dishes. And I want her to recognize it. (laughs) She does. She does great. She gives me a pat on the back. Thanks, honey. That's all I want. I want to serve, and I want to love my family. I want to serve, and I want to love you. And when you're hurting, I want to be there with you. When you are sad, I want to help you. And friends, I want you to dream of a church where that heart is shared among every people who are a part of it. Because they know that God makes His world a better place through a people who love one another as they love themselves. And so my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, is to not feel like you need to find positions of power and stature, positions. It's not about any of that. It's about your heart and your willingness to say. The power to change the world is found in the power of the Lamb. Sacrificial love. The one who is worthy is Jesus Christ. He gave His life for you that you may have eternal life in Him. Friends, will you serve Will you love? Will you give generously, live hospitably? Will you care for one another as best as you can? We're going to close with uh, my very favorite song. And it's a song written by Andrew Peterson. And it takes Revelation 4 and 5. And if you should catch along with what he's doing, it's a it's a question and response song, uh, and it's called He is Worthy. I invite you to worship.
Does our God intend to dwell again with us? 